Funerals and death are a fact of life, and we really can't avoid them. However, one man is beginning to change the way that funerals are done in the United States and the way that we celebrate lives rather than mourn the loss of people. This is someone who has become very dear to me through the work that I do and has really opened my eyes to handling death in a more positive way and embracing all of the things that we can take from a celebration of life and incorporating energetic rituals, connecting with mediums, cleansing spaces, and really providing families with an entirely different experience than what we're used to 20 years ago and and what we're still doing today in some instances. So sit back. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and listen to this incredible conversation with funeral director and owner, Andrew Lose. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Murder and Mediumship at the Coffee and Conjuring segment. I am here. I'm so excited to be here today with Andrew Lose, the founder of Heartland Cremation and Burial Society. And Andrew, I came into contact through through the work that I do, obviously, but he has such an incredible story and connection to funerals and death and the way we say goodbye to our loved ones. So thanks for being here, Andrew. Good morning. From the day that I met you, it was like this, just this incredible energy of, of passion and compassion and love for what you do. Tell me a little bit about Heartland Cremation Burial Society and how you guys do death differently. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's kind of one, it's very hard to wrap up in a box for us. Uh, I came from outside the business, um, 28 years ago, um, just a couple of weeks ago, celebrated our 28th year. I was 24 years old. Um, I had been to two funerals in my whole life. So I wasn't like I sought to get into the business. I, I, it was a, you know, one of the, one of those kids that dreamed to be in it. I just married, I fell in love and married my junior high sweetheart, who was the, the local undertaker's kid. And after college and uh, both of us graduated, I was I was working for a national retailer. Um, they were expanding. I was living in airports um, and hotel rooms before Zoom, before FaceTime, before texting, before free long distance, before cell phones. You know, we would, you would literally, you know. Use the old calling card if you had enough money to do that. She was a visual merchandiser. So these crazy hours. So when her dad approached us about uh, being in his profession, the, fu- the funeral business, um, we, we we thought it would be an opportunity for at least for us to be together and do something together. Um, I always had um, a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit, uh, but you don't really know what that is um, when you're that young. And certainly entre- entrepreneurialism is completely different today than it was in the yeah. early 90s. In the early 90s, you know, starting your own business and, um, you know, doing, you know, making your money off of, you know, a Zoom the way you do and, and meeting people on the phone. These were just you either you worked for work for people, you know, there was a lot of yeah. job status. So we we um, we decided to take the leap and 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 uh, spent the 90s um, working in this little tiny uh, community out on the edge of uh, Kansas City, first tier suburb of Kansas City called Raytown in a in a really cute uh, home converted to a funeral home that was run by a Southern Baptist family. And so all of our funerals mm-hmm. were the very same, same music every time, um, pretty much the same minister, uh, same time of day, same cemetery. There's all this sameness. And, and 
somewhere in my mid twenties, I realized, okay, this is a pretty honorable profession. Um, uh, it's good to be in the family business. I, and, and I had, I had a good life, but I, I just, I just feared that over the long haul that, I might get disconnected from it somehow. And so about the time my daughter was uh, born in 98, um, we had this kind of usual exchange. I would work all day, come home, uh, feed, we'd feed the baby together. And then my wife would go to, to work. She would do the hairdressing and the people that passed away getting for the next day and do flowers. And I would give the baby a bath and then we'd meet up later. And that was kind of our life. And one, I think just one day, giving her a bath and all the joy of this, of this, of this, the newness of being a dad, I just realized I might screw this up if I don't find a path, some passion in what I do. So over that time, I noticed that there had been, a, that there was a shift in how people were perceiving um, funeral homes. And I just, I saw that they kind of split into two camps, people that were okay with, okay with the same, same, same. So liturgical traditions of religion, and then, and then people that were looking for something different. And I didn't know what that was. And so I just crazily went to my in-laws and said, I think I want to start the first alternative funeral home in Kansas city. And I, and I, and I want to make it my life's work. And thank goodness. They said, you know, that's great. That's kind of why we want you to be in the business. You know, you do your own thing. And it's it's been amazing. And so our, our approach every day is we because of the changes in 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 the way people are um, either buried or cremated. Most people are cremated now. And and that's flipped over, you know, in the last couple of years from but most people in the casket to most people in being cremated. Um that, get, that, that just changes how people celebrate. And so we've deconstructed the entire process and, and um, we, we've, it's, we've created a casual, empathetically designed experience uh, where people are really in charge in the way, in charge of the way they celebrate. And it's just not a mod, it's kind of just not one of those like, yeah, they say they do that, but they're still wrapped as a funeral home. We really do. We really, we, we're kind of heretics. We, we kind of hope to burn down the, all the institutions that were before us, not because they weren't valuable, but they're just not relevant to, to modern people. And in the last 10 years, we've noticed a, a real bend towards spirituality. People that are, that, um, that may or may not have a religious orientation, but tend to, tend to be in control of their, of their, thoughts about heaven and, and the, and afterlife and, 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 and not, and, you know, living a, living that life here and celebrating someone going rather than being sad and spending their whole life preparing for them to, to live another life. And so that's been really, that's been a really different, that's really been the kind of the joy of it. And and we've grown a ton. And so that, that in and of itself validates that we, we made the right decision to, to really bend toward that, that way. And you keep referring to it too, as a celebration, not as mourning. So right. what is it, do you feel that sets you apart in creating more of a celebration versus like a mourning kind of atmosphere? Well, I wish we could take credit for it. It's not ours. It really came to us. The, the uh, pe- Americans um, brought the, the term celebration of life to people like me. We didn't invent that. That's their words. They, they rejected, they rejected, you know, the two o'clock old rugged cross uh, in the garden <laughs> liturgical funeral and said, I, I, we really want something different. And so they created it. And so it's been our job to, to help curate that experience within what's, what's, what, what physical 
up um, uh, uh, plant we have in the in the space and and creating that environment smell color sight lines for furniture design interior design so it's brighter younger fresher less less funeral homier less churchier less dentist yeah right create yeah. that ambience and then just give full permission within good boundaries on how people celebrate and and then and then each one builds off of the other so every Every great celebration we have, remember the things that made that unique and, and great when a family says they want to do it, but they're stuck. Insert those stories. And sometimes the stories kind of come intuitively. Sometimes you find that one family can, is connected to another family and how you tell the story. And so my young, my staff is all female, female, but one person, myself and one other person. And so I think the, I think that touches different too. They just, they're just better caregivers and, and better at attention to detail. They don't take shortcuts. They listen better. And so we're just, we just kind of be everybody's niece, daughter, granddaughter, sister, whatever we need to be for them to, to, to do that. And then, and then we get in the back room and go, can you believe this family wants to pour, run 42 HDMI cords so they can have 32 Zooms and seven preachers come in? From, yeah, that was this morning's meeting. You know, it's like, no, we're not going to wow. do it. Yes, we are. We're going to figure out a way for them to do it because this is how they want to celebrate. Yeah. And we, and we accepted that honor and told them, yes, we can't tell them no now. You're highly intuitive as well. And I'm yeah. assuming that the the one male that works for you is likely highly intuitive too. Um, do you feel like that really plays a role in how you guys accept people versus like, so I have no experience with knock on wood with planning any funerals. I've been to what I'm 33 and I've been to two or three I think. And yeah. one of them was in the nineties. I can remember the itchy dress I wore. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you can't remember what the, yeah, it's like, what color was grandma's castle? I don't know, but that dress that day was so itchy. My mom made me wear pantyhose and I about died. You, you know, I about died. No pun intended. You know, yeah. though, those like those like uh, lacy, like frilly mm. dresses that little girls wore in the nineties. And my yeah. sister and I were dressed the same and we oh. had to go to the funeral. And it was like, I remember it being really dark. And I was also, I had to be six years old, maybe I wasn't that old at all. And it was the first funeral I had ever been to. And the last for a really long time, we were really blessed in my family. We didn't lose anyone again until I was in my late teens, but yeah. I will never forget how dark it was. And because I was a child and also I feel like because of the way you see intuitively and it's different for every intuitive i can see like the um imagery of other people's awful floral dresses like in front of me and that's it just like what you would see at like waist level and and i don't there was no casket because it was a horrific it was the death like through fire so there was no oh my casket. there's yeah there's nothing like that but it was very um very heavy and very very dark I'm that way about smells. I remember my grandfather had a heart attack when he was got my age right now or 50, 51, 52, 53, I'm somewhere in there. And I was, I think I was about nine or 10. It was sudden quick. And, and it was, that was the first funeral that I was allowed to go to. And I was, you know, I was a wild, you know, no red candy spazzy kid. So I could, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I was buckled in a pew, but I remember breaking open a smelling salt that was in the, in the, uh, thing in the front they used to have smelling salts and all that kind of weird stuff sitting around funerals at the time but i i can go back in my mind and smell track that entire day that morning yeah uh, the car ride the flowers in the funeral home that smelling salt and and so 
we, that's just one of the things I'm obsessed about in, in, in my building. We, we've invested in some some high end hospitality uh, fragrance, uh, fragrance, uh, things like Disney and Marriott used so we can create a, a smell track because I think people come in with a perceived notion. And if you can change that and you can drop their shoulders just a little bit with a smell. And it, we always get the, we always get the same thing at the door. We had the hug saying, we're so glad we went with you. We just we just felt right on the phone call when we were calling around. We loved Hannah. You, she's so great. She had all the right answers. And, and you get the hug and then they go, you know, I just want to say it smells great in here. It's like, <laughs> No good because we because you know that's one of the fears is like what's it what's a funeral I'm going to smell like you know right. and if it smells like men's cologne um, you know then that it's not going to smell like dead flowers or right. chemicals or mold or creepy dead old furniture mothballs whatever exactly now you <laughs> talked before we started recording you were talking about I thought this was so you're very much an empath. And this was such a a guided and emotionally intelligent thing to even think about. You're talking about people getting out of their car and how we're working the front desk. If you can touch on that, just kind of like, if we can, I know we we struggle to go backwards, but if you can, you're talking about how, when you are at the front desk, people pull up and what you were thinking about, can you walk us through that thought process? Yeah, I don't know when. I'm not entirely sure when this occurred to me. We have a big, huge picture window in the front of this home, and the family passes in front of that to come up to come into the old the this little cottage home that's now a funeral home. And at some point, watching people get out of their car and come down that sidewalk, it occurred to me, and and I and I love to read. Um, a lot of so I read a lot of sociology uh, stuff and a lot of a lot of stuff about empathetic design and and how and you know where people wince and how they feel and how they experience uh, businesses and customer experience that type of thing. And it occurred to me that the hardest thing that they may have to do that day is get into the car at home. And that that admission is if I just if I'm home, it's not I don't have to go to the funeral home and that. Dad didn't die last weekend on Thanksgiving. You know, if I if I get if I don't get out of the car at the funeral home, if I just stay in this car, I can't. I don't have to face what's inside the the unknown and and you know what's you know what's the what's this person gonna what's this funeral director gonna do to me? What's this gonna cost? What's it gonna smell like? What am I gonna feel when I get in there? I'm not you know I don't know. I haven't done this before. And then they have to grab the door, pull that big door open, and step in. And it's really important for me to think about all those sight lines all the way to that door, that approach to to take away as much stress from signage to lighting to color to approachability. So when they pull that door open, they're, they're, we're continuing to try to reduce that stress and that wretch that they feel. And then when they step in the door, hit them with a smile and, and, you know, approachable an approachable interior design and a smile and, and, you know, jeans and a button down, a, you know, maybe a blazer and a sweater, not black suits and ties and, and cufflinks and shiny, you know, just, just the kinds of things that, that will make people feel like, okay, they, they're, they're, they've, they have a, they have different intentions. And then, and then we work our, absolute butts off around here, setting a vibration um, of, of comfort and, and, and um, just positive 
energy so that people are not walking through the sludge of everybody else's pain. So we do a good job of laughing a lot in the back room and, and, and taking some of the, some of the vulnerable moments and some of the funny stories that might frustrate other people in our profession and turning and putting them in a, in a, in a sense of humor spin, not only for our own self-care and boundaries, but off and, and, and to support of each other, but also as a way to keep, to honor that, to honor that, that bizarre energy that everybody brings in. And so, they, so we, you know, we really, really want to set that. I mean, I just, I can't even imagine what it feels like. I, I, I know what's going to happen to me. I've had funerals already and I, I've walked into other funeral homes that, that as a funeral home director and said, you know, my dad said, my son's a funeral director and he's, we've asked him to come to the table from my mom and dad or my, you know, I'll never forget those times. I can remember the smells and the ding of the door and look at the furniture and how the funeral director was dressed and the kind of the pin he had, the pad folio, these things all, all made an impression on me as a grandson who is in the profession. So just, just, you know, like just a thousand things, you know, if, if it's not a big deal, unless you make it a big deal is kind of what we believe. Do you feel like your work has desensitized you to death or do you think it has like heightened your senses around it? Oh gosh. That is, I, I think about that all the time, every day. Sure you I, do. don't, I don't know the answer to it. Um, I've had my own journey where I went from I went from being terrified of of death myself and 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 when I first well this is a strange story you ready for this when I first um, I first became a funeral director I was like I said I was twenty four like just like you didn't have this so every night I dreamt of a funeral for every single person in my life that I loved one after another once I got through every single funeral I they stopped. And then I did it again the year that I installed a crematory on my property. I cremated every family member. And that was, that was, I don't know what my subconscious was doing, preparing me through that. So I think I would have never gone through that journey had this not been my life, my, my, I make my living. And I might still be someone that doesn't under, that doesn't live life the way I do as a funeral professional. So yes, in that way, it has sensitized me, maybe not desensitized me. Um, and we all have our moments where we get caught up in something. I'm now in my, I'm now in the age where I'm now and been in this community that I wasn't from. I have, I'm now burying some of the people that were really good to me. that were business people that took care of me and the little service clubs and in the chamber that were, there were these aunts and aunts and uncles to these young kids that came in the community. Um, I've, I've had those services and I just go up in my office and I just get away from it. And I'll go, I'll go give hugs and I hand them off to one of my other professionals. I used to sit with them and I'm not, I'm not good any longer because I, I hurt now. And then I'm in my dance monkey dance mode where I'm, you know, being a clown and, you know, for my own good. And I'm not a good funeral director. So, um, um, it hasn't desensitized me by at all. And we do funny things like when we're when we're when we're getting people ready or moving people around, we talk to them and we, you know, we we talk about their families and and it keeps it light. And I, I think it keeps it human. Um, and it, and, I, and I, I think my wife and I set the tone for everybody around here. Nobody nobody's treated like an like um, it, 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 it's it's not in there's no manufacturing widgety part of what we do at all. You guys talk to the bodies while you prep them. Yes. Yes. That's amazing. Yes. That is absolutely amazing. That makes me feel better, honestly, about knowing that I'll have to go through this 
someday with my own parents. And yeah. I mean, that's never going to happen. They're going to live forever. We that's right. Real ideas around I, death here. Ironclad guarantee. They're here forever. Um, you also said something a moment ago about uh, cleansing the energy. Mm-hmm. And that's something that people will absolutely notice. And I know that I have, I have gotten on calls with you and your wife before and said some, you have said something to the effect of you've just finished cleansing or something. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. so incredible that you do that because I'm sure a lot of other funeral homes don't do that. Yeah. If, you know, my, my take on this 28 years and um, I had some empathetic um, gifts from my late uh, elementary school into my teenage years that I just, I, I knew, I, I knew, I, I knew I had these abilities to feel what other people feel, but I didn't have the maturity to understand what to do with it. The very first one I ever had was I could, when I was in fifth or sixth grade, I could feel the heartbreak of the girls, in my class, I could feel the crushes they had on boys. And so here I was crushing myself but I could feel their crushes. And I was thinking, why, why, why are these young girls coming to, why was I such a bug light for their crushes? Why'd they find such comfort? And I think somehow they knew that I could feel what they felt. And so that went on through all kinds of other stuff all the way into college. And then I just packed it up and put it away in my twenties. And then in my forties, there was, um, we had a kind of a big change in our, in our family dynamics and business. And and we really, really pushed the envelope and, and started stepping out into what, Liz and I really thought that my wife is Liz, what we thought our profession should be. We really got into, um, boy, we, we really have given, given this gift that, that of this business and, and this huge, it's very difficult to change market share in my, in the category I'm in. You know, some families go four and five generations and work with the same hundred, 150 families over and over. And we've grown from zero to working with over a thousand families a year and in very short time. So, wow. you know, we're, we're getting fed that. So, so now we, so now I know, I know I can walk through this building and know that the residual sludge that's left over either from sadness or in, in most case, most cases, it's, it's the, it's the anger between family members. It's the, it's the pain and the ugliness that's laid out between regret and guilt and, 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 you know, you didn't love her as much as I did. All you wanted was her money. You know, there's that there's the ugly, you know, I, 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 I choose to talk about these beautiful stories, but there are, there is plenty of this human ugliness. And so we get enough of that. Well, you just, you're walking in, you know, through thick, thick, thick sand. And so we'll, we start at the bottom and sage our way out. We've got one window. We go out, we kind of think there might be a portal in that window. There's a little bit of a weird vortexy thing that happens at the very top of our building. We can um, look into we, that. Yeah, we can look into that. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it, you walk by and your heart races and it does kind of some kind of weird thing. Um, so we, we work through that and, um, and it always, and it, it's funny, we won't tell anybody and the next time we'll come in like, Oh, it's just so light and airy in here. Like, Oh really? Yeah. I don't, I wonder why it just burned 42 sage sticks in here and to do it on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. Yeah. So by the time my staff gets in Monday, they're not going, good Lord, feels like a head shop in here or something. I know. And I've quit and I've quit meeting with people um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, my business is growing where I need to be kind of the door guy and head of hospitality mm-hmm. and pay attention to 
you know, financials, that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I got addicted. I got addicted to the sitting with the families in the closed conference room. We, we, we do French doors. So they, so when uh, French doors and windows and all of our, no one ever gets shut in without, without looking out. And that's a big deal for us. But I got to where I got to where I was leading almost all of my business arrangements from an intuitive place. And that's, I felt like that was a little malpractice. You know, when you're, when you're helping the family make decisions because their loved ones are having you help, it's a, it is a, and they don't know that they're, that you're doing that. And they're, you're, you know, that's not on the bill. It's, it's, you know, sometimes you just kind of have to, and I think it happens for people that are drawn to this profession because they, yeah. you know, you, 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 if you do your job, well, you, you have, you have trusted yeah, the family needs a little more time. Yeah, the family should do this. Yeah, maybe you should steer them one way or another. And if you're not, if your business is not built on orientation where they have to sell or have to, you know, not my people are on commission, they don't have to do anything. So they do get to be who they are and and how they want to serve. They 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 each all all five of them really get to personalize their the experience they have for the family. But I had to get out because of, you know when you got. I'm getting, you know, dead loved ones talking me through stuff in little offices. I'm like, okay, I, I can't. And I, That's you know, amazing. So Pick my, my shoes off and I have to go walk outside my bare feet. And everybody's like, why is the boss outside walking on his bare feet? Funeral home directors, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, weirdo. <laughs> but that's really incredible because when you think about it, you'd be, they could be like, you know, Aunt Polly really wants Aunt Polly. I've been watching people. I like Aunt Polly. Now. That sounds Aunt, like Polly, Aunt Polly's been, I really feel like maybe she would have wanted this. And, and you can be like, you know, I just, I, we also have this, this option. Yeah. And she's really sitting there on your shoulder telling you that's incredible. Then you can know for sure that she got what she wanted, but I can also see how that would be overwhelming for sure. Yeah. It's still I, incredible. And I found out that there's, um, I believe, and it, it, I get validated all the time. It, you, um, I had to, I, I had to substitute on a Saturday a couple of days ago or a couple of weekends ago, and it's, I'm not normally there by myself in the building. It was kind of one of those where I was kind of all by myself, and a lady came in to pick her her husband, and we sat in the front for gosh hour and a half. And had I not been there, she would not have had this exchange. And boy, oh boy, her husband was. He was giving me all kinds of stuff to tell her. And, and, you know, somehow I, somehow I got pulled in on that day and, and, and she told me all kinds of personal stuff that I don't think she would have shared with anybody. I'm like, holy smokesies. This is, this is, this is, this is, this, is, this, this one's going in the book. This dude, this dude was crazy interesting, you know? Holy smokesies. That's <laughs> awesome. I, I really like, I, okay. So like, a while ago, I'm not sure if this is something you've already shared. You're the awesome thing about interviewing someone who is also intuitive is you literally just go down the checks of what I'm about to ask you anyway. So <laughs> I do. Oh, my goodness. We know it's awesome. Um, your views on death and spirit, then they absolutely are still there with you and in, in communicating with their loved ones on the other side. Yeah. 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 Have you had any experiences where you've witnessed that outside of something that you only personally could see during a funeral? I've had a couple, I've had a couple, uh, you know, of course if we, I'm big on validating what everybody says when they come in, you know, I can remember going back a long time ago when people started telling me, they would ask me, Hey, I've got, you know, right before they'd stop right before we would go into a room to sit down. I mean, hey, this was a long time ago. And they would say, have you ever had one of your families that's coming in tell you that they could smell their dad's cigar smoke on the way in. And I used to say, no, but I, 
No, but that's interesting. Now I, now I can say, yeah, I, I, people tell me that all the time or, or this, or a song, or they, they did, they were thinking about something they were going to bring in and it showed up. Um, the, the big, Ooh, I get these chills when I hear think about some of these stories. Um, the, the biggest one <laughs> recently was, was a, um, a, this guy was in a lot of pain from losing his wife and, um, he, he just kind of kept wandering back in before her celebration of life. And it was planned like a week out. And so he would, I think he was purposely not, he had 10 things on his list. He'd bring me in one at a time, once a day. And I think he just won't, and he always, he wouldn't talk to anybody else but me. And the second time, the second occasion, I just said, let's get some coffee. And we just sat in the front room mm. and we just, we were just talking. Cause I could just tell he just needed a friend. Yeah. I had the time to do that. I didn't used to do that before. My boundaries are a little bit stronger and better and more mature. And I can, I can handle, I can handle ending, ending something like that. Not, not, I can, I can tell this guy, we can talk, but we're not going to be best friends, you know? Right. Kind of thing. And, um, I just said, I, I didn't even know I said it. I just said, you, you know, he was talking about what he could do to personalize the table. And I said, um, well, of course you should bring all of her, her Indian blankets. And he said, what? And I said, well, all of her Indian blankets. And he goes, when did we talk about that? And I said, didn't we talk about that previously? And he said, no. And I said, well, does she have Indian blankets? She goes, yeah, she has, that's her, she collects these. And I said, well, let's bring them in. And he goes, I, he goes, why'd you say that? And I said, I, I don't know. Of course I knew. I didn't want to say anything. Cause I, I now I'm thinking, well, now he's going to, now I'm really not going to be able to have good boundaries with him. And so then, um, so now I'm working on a slideshow and he's in standing over my shoulder. And I say, well, you got to put a picture of the camper you guys are working in together too. And he goes, we didn't talk about the camper. And I was like, oh crap, I did it again. And he goes, I'll email it to you. And, and then, so then I, she brought these, brought these feathers in and I said, let's put the feathers with this thing. And then the sun came in and couldn't believe I put the feathers in the thing. He didn't know the feathers, the, 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 the stepdad never put the feathers in the right thing. He was the only person who were to put these feathers, but his mom's and I had them in the right thing. And then the crazy thing was, is at the very end of the service uh, visitation or at the end of the celebration, two or three people gathered around me. They had all this, these little bags. And I was like, I didn't know what they were doing. And then they go, so I can't remember any Barbara was a, on our paranormal investigation team. Can we, can we see if she's here? And I said, absolutely. Let me get, let me get, let me get this place secured. So I shot him in the chapel before we set up for the next one. Let their, let, let her, you know, I, and I said, in my mind, it was a way for this, her team, they made, pro she made promises to them to talk. And they were going to valid. They were, they, this is their way of getting through it. And I said, can I join you? And they said, absolutely. We sat there and they had a voice box and boy, she said, she came through and said that she said the things that, that she said she was going to say. And, and, you know, that whole three or four days was just, it was like an entire, uh, you know, made for TV show experience. I mean, we, we could have filmed that and, and it would have been an Emmy. It was really spectacular. And that, that was, that was one of those that really made me feel like, boy, they kind of weave in and out. Now they don't stick around funerals. They, you know, people think funerals are haunted. Right. They don't stick around. They, 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 I think they, 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 they roll in, they get to the door. Sometimes, they, sometimes they're, and of course, sometimes it's not the, in my, I, I'm total, a total amateur, but sometimes it's not a, a feeling like they're, their whole thing there. It's some part of like a fractured part of their consciousness 
that's there to help with the grief. And so it's like, no, they're not completely there. They're just there for some portion of something, but um, they pop in. And I have had a number of people walk in um, to the back of the, our funeral chapel where a casket has been up there and a person in the casket where someone has stopped dead in their tracks. And if you were watching it, you would think that the person was afraid to get close to their loved one. And what they actually have said to me over and over again is that they've seen other dead relatives there and in, in, in a flash and they've gone. So um, one of the other things that I believe is that other other dead relatives come to funerals too. Yeah. And, and you can, and they're there when the energy's built up, which is when the family's there and they get, it's almost like, it's almost like you, know, you peek in, you see your little kid take the cookie out of the cookie jar and they didn't know you saw them like these little ghosties. Little, no, don't know that their loved one got in there and they got caught saying goodbye, which I don't know why they would come see the physical body. And but again, these are all mysteries. All of their loved ones are there. So yeah. it's like that massive gathering. So they're yeah. with like everybody's energy all at the same time. That yeah. would be my assumption. I have chills right now. <laughs> chills. That is wild. I, over a year ago, I think it was a good old TikTok made a video saying that. Uh, yeah, I saw this somewhere. Just admit it. You saw it on TikTok. It <laughs> we know it's everybody's major. Content. My husband quotes something. I'm like, if it was on a Facebook meme, that does not count as I read it somewhere. Just so you know, <laughs> that is not a verifiable source. That's right. That's but right. I had made a TikTok about people attending their own funerals. And so many people were blown away by that. So to hear you in the business, even saying that it's, I mean, of course they do. They're yeah. checking on you, not not the actual funeral or anything like that. They want to make sure that their loved ones are okay. That's awesome. People, uh, it's funny when we have families that are really fighting. Ooh, here we go. Chill, big chills again. All these, I love I love when you that you get that feeling, which means you're validating what what experience you had. Because I don't think I've ever said this out loud. I, I say what I get ready to say to families, but I don't know that I've ever said it in this way because I I don't talk to people that are intuitive like this. But when families are really fighting and they say, we need, we're going to, we're going to get private security or they're going to call the cops or which happens more frequently than you, you know, somebody in the family is violent um, and they're, or they're, you know, that they're, they, they feel like there's going to be violent. I'm pretty comfortable most of the time saying it's not going to happen. And they always say why. And I believe it's because there's, I believe it's because there's a, 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 a level of protection that's going on from someplace else that, that kind of wards that off. Cause it's really unusual. I mean, you think about thousands and thousands and thousands of thousands of funerals in America that are supercharged by families with big dysfunction in really bad times in our life. You think there'd be a lot more throwdowns, um, yeah. you know, I mean, even, even scary, scary, um, you know, someone coming in and doing the, the worst. Um, it just doesn't happen. Knock on wood here. I probably curse myself, but you know, it, it, they always go, wow, you're right. It didn't, it wasn't bad. And, and it's because the, the intention of everybody that's coming to is so focused on the person that's passed away. The, the people that come are not selfish. The people that want to bring the selfishness some, some, somehow they're bubbled out. They just don't come. They're they chicken out. They tend to be cowards anyway. But and if they do come, they behave and they leave because they, they, around them, it's just like being in a giant room, uh, like, you know, one narcissist walking into a room of people that are really well adjusted. They just they have no power there. Right. And I think it, I think it also comes from all the energy that's energy that comes in from the other side. That's yeah. from the intention of the people celebrating that one person's life on that's this planet. That is really interesting. And I might be wrong. No, that makes sense to me. That makes sense. It almost like it feels like that like mom 
energy that just yes. comes down and she's like, you sit there, you sit yeah. there, you sit there. Nobody look at each other. That yeah, might yeah, be a recap right. from breakfast this morning, but yeah, that's how I it like, works. Uh, I could test this, but I, I also know that this is going to be bad. <laughs> Mom energy. Gonna be, that will be my threat. It will be in my will. If you misbehave, I will smite you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, okay. Your business, you said you guys uh, have seen a lot of growth. Are you guys, um, this Heartland cremation and funeral services, is this something burial services that you guys are in operation in multiple places? Do you teach the way that you do this? Like how, do. how is your business I do, I do. growing? Uh, I, I, in the midst, in the midst of the middle part of my big journey, um, I, I tripped across other people like me that were, that were in the same place I was in their parents. Um, in most cases, they weren't in-laws like I was, they were, they were children of, of generational businesses that had little neighborhood, traditional two o'clock, you know, church pew casket funerals that were looking at doing something different and they just didn't know. And, and, you know, in the world of birds of a feather flock together, they somehow find me and we start to have a conversation and they go, yeah, you, you're, you're everything that I want to do. I just didn't know I could. So I started a consulting career in 2010 uh, called cremation consulting. And basically what I teach is kind of twofold. One is, one is there, the, the consumer is in control of their choice now in, in, in this, in, in funeral and cremation business now where they weren't before you went where your parents went, you went where your church people went, you went where your, your ethnicity was, you know, if you're, if you're Croatian, you go to the Croatian funeral. If you're Polish, you go to the Polish funeral. If you're African-American, you go to the African-American Catholic all down the roads. That's, that's all right. off now. I mean, that's, that's, what's, that's the only thing that's still holding on. So I taught them, you can break, you can break those barriers. And there's a lot there. There are more disloyal people. You're not going to keep them unless you design your business empathetically. So from the name of the company, all, uh, all of the, all of the companies I've started, every single logo has a heart in it. And now it's pretty prevalent. People have copied, but in 94, 98, when I came up with the idea of Heartland and we put the heart in it because of the name, that's the part of the country that we call this area Heartland. But um, in every case that I would sit with one of these new owners and developing their company, they'd say, do I have to have a heart? And I said, no, you don't have to have a heart. You can put a cardinal on there. You can put a rose. You can do a yeah. some, a star design. You don't have to have, you can do anything you want, but how mad will you be when your competitor starts a business that looks like yours and uses a heart in their logo? When what we talk about is, is you know, I hate these cliches coming from the heart or, or heartfelt, right. or whatever, but it is, it certainly is an intentional thing. Um, and so I have these, I have this tribe. Um, I run a think tank of um, it's about 25 non-competing family owned businesses that really are built off the same experience that I had starting my company where, where smell and design and, and costume and, and packaging and, and web design and color and name at location, everything, everything is intentional. We take, and in the think tank, we constantly deconstruct um, and, and we, you know, work toward finding, you know, we, we work with, we work with trainers from Disney to, to bring, you know, top level uh, guest experience. We we've worked with um, wow. David Kelly with IDEO at Stanford to talk, to learn about empathetic design when people wince during the process and what that, what that, what that causes. And, and, and we learn about loyalty. Loyalty is not something you own. It's something you earn. 
and 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 how we attract that. So the the next frontier for my family is we have a new gen we've had a new generation join, which I can't even believe that my daughter. Um, is on this journey too. And, and I've, I've done everything I can to keep her out of it. And, and so we had a, we had a six month long, um, ongoing job interview where she, where she just wouldn't take no for an answer. And, and it's because we're starting a new location that's going to be even weirder than the one we have now. It's going to. The, we've already started bringing merchandise and we have a we have a blessing box that has a Himalayan uh, salt and a sage stick and a candle. And we're picking all natural. Uh, um, we're turning cremated remains into stones that are called parting stones instead of pulverized, crushed ashes. We've got these 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 solidified remains and trees. And and we're 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 not going to allow we're not going to allow the kind of stuff. They're all going to be private. And people are going to be able to do whatever the heck they want to to celebrate. And the hope and the hope is and I feel like it's feel like it's going to be a new awakening. The hope is, is that we're going to attract all the people that are looking for a spiritual, a spirit, a formally spiritual experience in a very traditional licensed environment. So we're building a free space. We're not building, we're redoing a free steps, free, free span brick building that will be completely open to be set up in any way we want. We're going to start a, I've, I've, I've wanted to start this organization. A whole, I have a friend from Buffalo who ran a, um, a holistic um, alliance in Buffalo. And she's, she's been a great coach to me for my intuitive work. And also in, um, and and helping the women on my staff with with boundaries and and uh and and uh she's a she's a incredible compassionate care burnout for for people in the caregiver community and her mentor was the number one person that helped people in hospice with with burnout and um she was a mentor of mine as well but anyway i've wanted to start this this heartland healing um community which which would be hospice folks um um people that market in hospice, um, people in the community, our customers that would be a, would be a healing, a holistic healing um, group. And I've, I've stopped 32 times from doing it because I'm really afraid of starting a cult. <laughs> so, cause every time I ramp it up, I'd say we have room. We've, we've done, we've done three or four events. We do a spirits and spirits event, which is a craft cocktail event and um, a nice. psychic medium demonstration um, in our funeral home, a parlor to get to, for people to validate um, end of life experiences. We've had some big group reads with Reiki folks and, and, and um, psychic mediums doing group readings and talking about what happens at people's end of life. We're just validating to the caregiver community that maybe, maybe, you know, maybe maybe a cat is just a cat, but sometimes a cat is your grandma. And, you know, if you you know, sometimes a dog barks in the corner and sometimes he is barking at Jesus, you know, those kinds of things. We're we're just there to say not no, but maybe yes. And so so people, all those are validated. But every time I set the limit, you know, 30, you know, 30 people for the salon, I have 150 people want to come and are disappointed. Yeah. 75 for the so I'm like, ooh, I have to be careful. I guess I could so I I'm I'm trying to find that balance of what this is. And hopefully my kiddo who's really who's a professional event planner will have better balance. And she loves this world too. She'll be better at coordinate this and I won't be a I won't be a new Bravo channel cult leader. You are not a cult leader, I promise. But it's hard to coordinate that stuff, especially when your brain works like my brain does. It's not yeah. easy. 
good for her and good for you for having her. I, I'm so glad that she's a part of it. I'm yeah. so glad that she's a part of it. That's You're not so surprised, cool. of course, right? Not at all, but I won't give any personal you told information. Us she told us. I did. I know it's fine. Um, psychics aren't real. No, right. um, yeah. that's God. Do you have anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners? Any lessons or any insights that you've picked up over time in your work? I, I think I tell, you know, I have my, now I'm in an age where my friends have, you know, I've sit with my friends when their parents pass and we've even worked with some of those people. Um, and I always, I think the the best advice I give people is I was not great. I was not great at being authentic about talking to people when they'd lost someone when I was young, even though I was, I made my living that way. I was, I can't even imagine how bad of a funeral director I was for the first five or six years. I feel really bad for those families. I hope I was nice and fair and at least worked hard because I, I certainly was not, I certainly was not ready. You know, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> my we, we closed in the lawyer's office. I took my te- my state boards the month before. Um, went to a went to a. This is I can't believe I'm saying this loud. We went to a readiness like a like a study prep class. My wife and I kind of made fun of it all day because we were kids. Couldn't yeah. believe what we were doing. <laughs> Stayed in a hotel room at 24. Got hammered. Took the test. Probably still. At minimum, hung over, aced it, somehow got licensed, closed the next week, quit my other job, moved to a different city, closed. And the next day was in a suit, sitting with my father-in-law, talking to someone who just lost someone. Then he left in a motorhome, next day went to California, and that was my training. So some, some part of me works really hard still to make up for how bad I probably was and somehow survived because... Funerals die this slow, painful death normally. Um, but I, but I guess what I'm here to say is like when you if you have someone that's passed, your neighbor, your cousin, your, you know, your coworker, and you don't know what to say, it is totally okay to say, to not say the things that you that everybody says. If you have a point of view and you say, I was scared to death to come to your cubicle because I didn't know what to say. Cause this must be the worst fucking day of your life. Yeah. And I'm hurting for you. It's okay to say that because the worst thing to do is one right to their desk and say, I'm sorry for your loss. They're in a better place. Neither one of those things are true. That is not, that is, that is, and never will be anything you should say to somebody up front. So uh, off being authentic and real when someone is in pain and giving them First, you're there, you're friends with them, or you're a relative of them, or or you at least are collegial in your workplace, and you at least they deserve at least for you to be yourself. And and if you are yourself, those are the moments where people really start to heal. Is when they realize, God, somebody knows it is the worst fucking day of my life too, because I want to scream it, and everybody's acting like it's not, you know, yeah. and it is. And I, I don't know why I'm here and I don't want my company to have a policy that I can't leave until Thursday. And I hate this. And, and, you know, everybody's just act, walking like eggshells, you know, it's better to, it's better to be real. I think that's, that's the best advice I, I could that. ever give. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And thank it you so much for coming on here. I'm so excited for this episode to drop. 
Thank you so much. And y'all come back on Monday for another episode of Murder and Mediumship. Thank you. <laughs>